For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening, although it's a change of personnel. Carl's in the physio room tonight, so I hope you get well soon, mate. That does mean that James is leading the line this week. So, James, how have you been this past week? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. What a difference a week makes, eh? And uh, I guess without Carl, I'm, I'm feeling the pressure a little bit tonight. Carlos Vinicius has been given my chance. <laughs> I better take it with both hands. Yes, you're wearing the armband, so wear it wisely. Also, joining us this week is Chris. You may know him on Twitter as Spurs Logic. Chris, it's been a while, but how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, all well, good, thank you, Dan. As James said, much better week this week. Um, it was a bit of down in the dumps before, but uh, yeah, feeling much more positive now. That's right, we're moving on up. And also, last but not least, is the returning Tommy. He's from the YouTube channel Spurs Zone TV. He's racking up another appearance tonight. So, Tommy, I hope all is well. And how are you, my friend? Yeah, it's all good, man. I mean, what a seven days. What a seven days it's been for us. We've taken, look, we've taken a lot of hits this season. But um, no, it's looking good. It's looking rosy to the end of the season now. So, all good. Yes, fingers crossed we're not quite there yet. There's some work to do and we'll chat about that work in a moment. However, let's do the social media bits first so we can dissect the last week and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Company Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at CYS underscore COM. We're on all the major audio platforms as Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let us know and I'll get it on there for you. And if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. Right, let's get down to business. That business sees us pick up two league wins over the past seven days. And although there is still work to be done, James, it does look like things are starting to move in the right direction. Yeah, as I said at the top of the show, it's it's a massive difference from from the mood that we were all in last week. Um, I've said many a time before, it's not always the the results that, that, that get us in the mood that we were in. It's the way that we're playing and uh, and the way that we've played these last couple of games has, has put a smile back on everybody's faces. You know, we, it's, it's exactly what we wanted to see. We wanted to see uh, that front three and our creative players kind of playing with the uh, with the shackles off. Uh, and, and thankfully, you know, the guys at the back have, have managed to keep it tight. And, and so the results have all gone our way. So um, I guess we we're all kind of a bit tentative. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, um, especially after the run that we did go on. Uh, but this is certainly a lot, a lot more promising, uh, and hopefully it'll be a bit, a lot more like this rather than it was last week for for the rest of the season. Okay, then, Chris, we're six at the time of recording. Although that could change by the time that I press the stop button. So, do you think it's going to take, shall we say, a monster run between the end of the season and now? And I mean that in the sense of winning and winning and winning to get us over the line in terms of the top four. And if so, is that a feasible target? Um, yeah, I, I think we are going to need to go on a really, really strong run to have any chance of, of getting it, um, purely because the teams that we're competing against are very, very consistent at the moment. And, you know, you're looking at the likes of United, um, Chelsea now are just seem to be picking up wins left, right and centre. There's West Ham in there as well, which I don't think anyone expected. Everton as well. So, so there's a real kind of mix of teams in there. And, uh, you know, when you look back over our season, we have been... We've been we were very strong obviously up until we went top and then we've had this major wobble and 
now there's just sort of a self-doubt creeping in, I think, amongst the fan base. Are we going to do it? Are we not? How are we going to prioritise Europa League? That kind of thing. So I think we're going to need, you know, I don't know how many games are left. Is it 12 games left? Something like that. 11, we're probably going to need 11 games left. Yeah. So we're probably going to need to win, you'd probably say eight or nine of those at least to have a shout. Yeah, I think you're right. Obviously, there's some real swing games being Man United and Everton in that April week. But I think really drop points can't be the order of the day when you consider how many we dropped January, February. So I think, as I say, it really is going to have to be a streak of not just being unbeaten, successive wins. And Tommy, the fact that things aren't in our hands in terms of the top four means we can't really rest on our laurels. You can't think, yep, you know, that's it, job done, on the beach and all that. With that said, is that a good thing? Does that mean we've got an extra level of impetus in our squad because there's an actual target to reach towards? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. And to be fair, the world's our oyster when you look at the players that are performing right now. So, you, you know, we can be very, very ambitious. Um, if you get Kane, if, you, if we said all season, if we can get Kane and Bale working together with Son there too, then right now where we are, I would put us, I would, honestly, I would put us as favourites for the Champions League. The only problem is Chelsea. The only problem is Chelsea. But look, we're still, we're only five points behind Chelsea with a game in hand. So it's absolutely, it's all in our hands. It's all in our hands. And uh, yeah, with that front three, it's just, it's unbelievable. Now now they're getting together. We've, we've waited for it for so long. We thought Bale was gone after the Brighton game. I thought he was gone. He was happy to sit on the bench for large parts of this season. But he's back. And how amazing was he yesterday? How amazing was Kane? It's just been a brilliant, brilliant seven days. And we can we can be so, so hopeful now, I believe. Yeah, we'll get to the uh, the matches in a moment in terms of performance. But I just want to talk about the wider picture, that being the league and how we get to the top four if we do at all. James, I've got a question for my good friend Matthew Baldwin and he's put forward this theory. Now, with Spurs winning across the last week, has that actually made them, well, made a rod for their own back in the sense that now they're on multiple fronts again, they can't necessarily go out for the Europa League and put all their eggs in that basket. You know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's It's got to be a good thing. Um, I think, it, you know, a team playing in form uh, is, is is what we want. We don't want us to be faltering in the league and then and then hedging all our bets and putting, as you say, putting all our eggs in the Europa League basket. Um, I've always said that that the league um, has to be the priority always. Um, I, we we can't hedge our bets on on Europe, uh, you know, the Europa League because it's just so unpredictable. Um, I, there's a lot of teams left in the Europa League who who I think that if we came up against, they would certainly give us a, a, a really good game. Um, I would not call us favourites by any means. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams there that have got some good European pedigree, and and you know, on on their night they could beat anyone. You know, you could say that on the, on our night we could beat anyone, but you know, with that kind of looming over our heads that we're that, that kind of serial bottlers, um, I think it, it you know it's it's a it's a real risk to play to to put all your eggs in that basket. So. Uh, for me, we, we've got to be performing in the league. Uh, and if we're performing in the league, then that momentum carries over to Europe. Then, uh, you know, if we if we go and beat Arsenal um, in the league, for instance, then we go into the second leg of Europa League. Whatever happens in, in that first leg, the second leg is going to be going to be the more important game. Uh, and if we've just beaten Arsenal, then confidence is going to be absolutely sky high through the roof. Uh, and it means that we're going to perform to the best of our abilities. And We've we've got the squad to be able to to fight on these fronts. You know, at, at the start of the season, all, all you saw was, uh, you know, these diagrams of, of squad depth and you know first XI and second XI. Um, the amount of players that we've got 
of, of quality, especially in the attacking positions, we should be able to to, to rotate these players and and hopefully even the, even the players who are kind of on the fringes of the team will be will be starting to to kind of find a bit of form. You know, you're looking at your Deli Alleys, you're even looking at Bale. You know, Bale wasn't nailed on to to be in that that starting Premier League team up until probably last week. So, you know, the, there are the, there's a there's a lot of players in this squad. There's a lot of players who we need to to kind of really produce when they get their cameos and when they they get given their chances. And you know, with that, with those players at our disposal, we should be able to manoeuvre what what will be a pretty difficult fixture list. But I don't think that means we should be throwing the towel in, in the league at all. We should be, you know, we should be fighting on on at least those two fronts uh, with an eye on the on the cup final. Obviously, that's going to be a great day for everybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's still a chance that we can finish in that top four. Uh, as as, you, as you've said many a time, Dan, that if if we just put together a, a, a string of of good results, um, and yeah, as you said, there's a couple of those swing games that, that I mean, you, you say it's a cliche, six pointers. Um, but if we win those games, then then that puts puts us back into uh, into the favourite slot for the for the for the Champions League places as well. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got enough quality to to fight on all fronts, if you ask me. Chris, one of those games is Leicester on the final day, so we're playing catch up. We don't necessarily need to be in the top four on the final day. Well, by the end of the final day, but going into it, not necessarily. If we're what two points or just three points with a better goal difference, and we beat Leicester, then all things could change. So it's kind of keeping the rivals at arm's length between now and the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think Leicester are obviously the ones that everyone's looking up at and thinking they're perhaps a little bit vulnerable at the moment. They've got a lot of injuries. They're not in the best of form. Um, we all know what happened last season. They fell away quite quite dramatically and obviously lost out in the end. So, yeah, I think there's definitely scope to, to look ahead and, and look at the people above us and, and pick them off kind of one by one as the season progresses. I personally think the first kind of six-pointer, as James said, is this weekend because if we can if we can kill off Arsenal's kind of league, uh, you know, outside chance for their Euro, uh, European position chase, I guess, I think we go ten points ahead of them if we can beat them. So that's the kind of first milestone for me is is putting one over them, getting that, getting those three points on the board, and, and getting ahead of them. And then yeah, looking up at the at the fixtures that are coming up, and and I think we have got some definitely some winnable games and definitely some some big six-pointers that will swing it in our favour. But as James said, I, th- I think the key is getting the best out of the squad because uh, we've definitely got, you know, we've got the three up front there just, you know, when they're on form, I think we're a match for any team and that goes in Europe as well. I think we can we can definitely be positive about that. It's it's whether we've got the defence and, and the, the structure there to, to kind of build on win after win after win as, as someone like Man City have done. Um whether or not we can do that at this stage of the season will, will you know, make all the difference. Well, it's going to be a gradual process, isn't it? You know, the way we are playing at the moment, we're eating into the gaps that are above them. We were ninth, we're now sixth at the time of recording. It's all about getting to that top four. You look at the games that are left, there's, what, 11 fixtures. The four big ones are Arsenal this weekend, Man United, Everton, Leicester. There's seven other games that you should be winning. You know, no drop points at all. And if you win those seven, then you might be able to get away with a draw, maybe even, dare I say, a defeat out of one of those four. But really, you know, it is full steam ahead. And with that in mind, Tommy, we spoke about Europa League selection last week. Now, how strong do you reckon we need to go for the rest of the tournament? We're at that point where you can't really have too much of a luxury of resting players. So is it going to be a case of squad management across the two competitions 
And does that signify that everyone still has a big part to play in all of this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in terms of squad management, we probably haven't got a... We probably got the best man at the helm for that in Jose Mourinho. So experienced because he, he always he always has taken the European and even domestic cup uh, tournament seriously. Uh, I think with Man United in his first season, it was a it wasn't a great um, it wasn't a great stint while he was there for two or three years. But he still won lots in his first season: Europa League, Carabao Cup, and yeah, we need that first we need that first. Uh, we need that first trophy on board we haven't had for a while. So it starts with the Carabao Cup. And then, as you said, squad management. How are we going to, what are we going to do in the Europa League? This first leg is massive with Arsenal. It's, it's Thursday, I believe. So Arsenal Sunday, that's going to be the trickiest one. Because North London derby, if we, if we beat them, it's 10 points. The gap is 10 points. As far as I'm concerned, if we beat Arsenal, that's it. That's, uh, that's game over. They're not finishing above us. And it's just West Ham to go out of the London boys. Chelsea's going to be trickier. So the squad management is key, but we've got everyone fit. Everyone is fit, I'm hearing. Obviously, Aurier, I think, wasn't there. I was expecting him to start uh, yesterday. Uh, but I think he's just picked up a lo- another little niggle after he came back from injury. Uh, so Doherty played again, but he's been fantastic. And uh, Lokelso, Lokelso's been training for the last week and a half. We have a fully fit squad and we've got Winks in there. I wasn't expecting Winks to play. I think a lot of Spurs play- uh, fans were not expecting Winks to play yesterday. He played... We've still got the likes of Bergwijn, who's really good at Christmas. We've got a fully, fully, fully fit squad. So, um, and Mourinho knows how to manage it. We've got, we got every, every chance on, on a lot of fronts, on a lot of fronts. Um, but we need to get that trophy in the cabinet. As great as Pochettino was, we just did not get that trophy. We need to get a trophy in the cabinet. I've got a funny feeling the Carabao Cup will be the one. And who knows? Who knows? We could have the Europa League to put in there two and top four. How great of a season would that be? After, you know, we've took so many hits, how great of a season would that be? be absolutely unbelievable. Well, fingers crossed, you know, there's no reason why it can't happen. Like I say, there's still some work to do, but we're going in the right direction. So let's move away from points and potential prizes and look at performances. We'll start with the Fulham win. And James, I'm saying this once and once only, shag. Remind me never to mention that on this show again. That said, what did you make of that quartet against the Cottagers? Isn't it, isn't it gash? Oh, gash is whatever. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, he's gash, uh, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's what, what what we wanted to see, isn't it? We wanted to see that for for so long, um, and I was a little bit concerned. Um, I, I think I've got PTSD from the time that that uh, Pochettino played um, Endon Bele and La Celso together against Norwich that time, and, and they were absolutely diabolical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was I was a little bit concerned that it wasn't going to work. But to me, I thought I thought it worked really well. Um, I was really really happy to to see uh, Deli Ali get you know get really getting himself in the box, which is something that I think was was part of his his downfall um, under in the in the end towards towards the end of Pochettino's reign. In that I think he was he was probably dropping a bit too far into into midfield, and um, I think he he needs to be you know hitting that penalty spot, playing in and around Harry. Um, uh, and that's you know that that position that he he scored from. Um, I think that that's that needs to be the position that that he needs to be getting in more often. As for as for the rest of the guys, obviously, um, Sonny has been out of the limelight a little bit recently. But uh, you know the amount of chances that he created on his own in the first half against Fulham, I think he was absolutely absolutely exceptional in that first half. But I think he's one that we need to be careful, be wary of, of burnout 
you know he he can look a little bit leggy uh, towards the end of uh, towards the end of games, and I was a bit surprised that we didn't see him come off yesterday. But that's that's another story. Um, you know, Harry being Harry, he's he's proved that he's he's one of the best strikers in the world, if not the best striker in the world. You've only got to look at, at what he did in, in the last minute of the game to to show he, he's a he's a, a footballer who who's constantly thinking, who's constantly brain, his brain is ticking constantly. You know, if that was someone like Lucas or Lamella that have that have attempted that through baller, that have that have tried um, something can give him Fulham the ball back, but Carry bought the free kick and. You know he's a massive, massive part of, of of everything that goes on in the pitch, right? Not just scoring and creating goals. Uh, and then and then Bale, you know, he, he's he's seems to be really hitting that form just at the right time. We all knew that there was that player in there. We saw glimpses in his cameos at, at the start of the season, um, and we all doubted whether he could do it on you know for for ninety minutes. But I think he he's playing a completely different role. To the one that we expected him to play, I think he he's playing with the shackles off, and to me, he's 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 not constantly trying to to beat players with his pace. I think he's he's trying to to be a little bit more intricate with his play, um, and you know it's it's working for him. He's getting into those areas, uh, and even though against Fulham he, he he didn't really get much of a sight of goal, he's still played a really important part. Um, so I think you know going forward that's a, that's an option for us. I'm not sure whether it's going to be the option, um, but I think it, it's a massive, massive positive when we're playing against teams in the bottom half like like Fulham uh, to have players like Deli Ali bursting through the middle. Um, it's going to be a, a great option for us to have, and any team in the Premier League would be would be jealous of what we've got there. So Chris, with that in mind, why doesn't Deli Ali start against Crystal Palace? Let's not focus on what Lucas did. We'll get to that later. But from an alley point of view, does that mean he fluffed his audition in West London or this goes back to that squad management idea? Um, well, I don't think you can say he fluffed his audition purely because he, he created the winning goal in the game. And I think, as James said, he, he's getting into the positions where, you know, potentially, you know, arguably, we don't have someone that, that goes into those positions and, and gets to the byline and, and finds these little, these cute touches and, We've got players that are very good with sort of their head down and, and running past players, bursting past players and kind of just that kind of style of bustling through. And I think Delhi gives us a, a kind of different option in that he's, he's a bit more of a head up player. He's, he's obviously not got the pace to kind of, you know, similar to like a Lucas or a Lamella, for example, that are bursting past players with a ball roll. Um, but uh, he's, he's, he's got a different kind of, a different way of playing and I think it brings the best out of players like Kane and, and Sod and, and now Bale. I don't know why he didn't play against Crystal Palace. I think again it is purely down to squad cost squad management and the fact that we've got so many games coming thick and fast and we're actually blessed with quite a few players that can play in that sort of number ten role. You know, we've seen Endon Bele play there for a period this season. Lucas is now playing there. We've had Lamella in there. Lacelso when he was uh, fit and ready, and he's obviously coming back now. So yeah, I, d- I don't think it's any sort of detriment to Delhi's performance. I thought he was very good again. Um, but yeah, it's purely squad management in my book. Okay then, Tommy, you mentioned Lacelso just a few minutes ago, and Chris has just mentioned him as well in terms of that number ten competition. With him hopefully being back in you know weeks rather than months and all that, where does he sit in the number ten role pecking order? Well, I think with Lokelso, I think last season he was he was the main man. He was without a shadow of a doubt he was the main man for that position. I mean, and Dombley 
his first season. Let's let's just forget about that. I mean, it was it was horrific. So yeah, he was the main man last season, but things have changed dramatically. Um, this is with Ndombele doing what he's done, and now now the fact that he's gone deeper once again, as you say, it's open again. That that position is open. If if you show some you know glimpses of form, you can you can you can take it by the scruff of the neck, and uh, we know he's full of quality. I remember last season we tried to do with Lokelsa well, what we have done with um, Ndombele this season, centre midfield, but he hasn't got the temperament. We've we've seen and Jose seen he hasn't got the temperament to play next to Hoiberg or Sissoko, just a deeper own centre midfield. So if we're fitting Lokelso into this team, he's definitely centre attacking mid is the one. So he's going to be competing with Deli Ali, Lucas now. Lucas gives gives a very different option in there. Lucas he stretches the defence. I wasn't over enamoured by his you know last few in, uh, performances, even in the Europa League. He's a bit of a headless chicken in there, but. He's got pace. He stretches the defence, and that's so important. That's in every league. In every league, it's the pace. It, we sort of lacked it against Fulham, but you could see him coming in. It, it's another different option. We've got such a strong squad now, um, and he's been in training. I mean, they, they said he's going to be fully fit for a while. He's like back in training last week, so he should be sooner rather than later that he's back. It's going to be fascinating to see where he goes. It'd be brilliant to see Hoiberg and Domble, Lokelso. Then you've got Bow on the right, Son on the left, came in front. Teams will absolutely, they will be frightened of that. Because Lokelso did have a very good first season. So, um, yeah, yeah, I can't wait till he's back and, and see what Jose actually does with the, uh, with, with the attack especially. So, James, the most pivotal point of that Fulham game was not our goal, but their goal that was disallowed. So, a clean sheet in the history books, but you'd have to say, really, a big chunk of fortune going our way. Now, is that goal disallowed due to should we say, a bad application of VAR or nonsensical rules from IFAB? Uh, it's the rules. Um, you know, me personally, I, I, I've kind of adapted to it and, I, and I, I saw it and straight away I was a little bit calm um, when the ball hit the back of the net because I thought, well, that's, that's going to be ruled out and surely that's going to be ruled out because we have, have suffered from it. Um, you know, think back to, to ridiculous goals like, you know, the, you know uh, Lucas's incident at Sheffield. Um, and, you know, then we even more recently, we've benefited from it. Uh, you know, Salah against when, when, when we played against Liverpool. Um, so it's, it is a ridiculous rule. Um, I can I can kind of, you know, I'm going to go against the, against a lot of people and say I can kind of understand why it's there, uh, because technically, you know, when you're looking at it, Fulham have kind of set up a goal with with a hand, and that that you know it doesn't really sit right with a lot of people, and it doesn't really sit right with me. But it's it's kind of we're kind of all just adapting to the game at the moment. Um, you know, if this is going to be a, a big part of the game, I know they've changed it now. You know, so many changes, and it, it kind of hurts a little bit. Whatever team you support, seeing rules being changed, the Days after after something's happened on the pitch, you know, I, when when Eric Dyer had that that penalty given against against Newcastle, I think they changed the rules a couple of days after that, and you think, oh my god, they're just they are literally moving the goalposts. Um, so hopefully, you know, they can just settle on on a on a set of rules that that actually make sense. Um, they can let you know officials use their common sense rather than having to follow rules that. That are, are just stupid, point blank. Um, 
but you know, from a Tottenham point of view, we, you know, we've managed to benefit from it this time, and and you could argue that it swings and roundabouts, and you get you get as many decisions for you as you do against you. Um, but on this, yeah, on this occasion, I'm not going to argue because obviously it's it's a great result for us, and and it was a really difficult time. Uh, if we'd have conceded at, at that time, it would have been difficult for us to get back into it. Um, it's again, I think it, our, our defenders seem to have some kind of aversion to to just hacking the ball clear you know it, it's it's a, something you get taught you know when you're when you're growing up if 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 you've got the ball in your box or in a in some kind of dangerous position just get rid of it uh what our players seem to seem to faff about with it and they they don't seem to have the ability to put their foot behind the ball and just send it up the pitch uh, and that was us suffering from that again but in terms of the refereeing decision I'm I'm glad I'm glad that it it went the way that it did um, but hopefully the referees can can kind of get together and and whatever bodies can get together and and try and sort this out because it's we've been talking about it for about a year now and it's and it's getting slightly boring. Chris, I think James just touched on it, but is it just the old adage of everything balances itself out in the end? If you take the dire handball against Newcastle as that sort of the yin and this is the yang, is that all we're seeing? Yeah, I think so. I think over the course of a season, you are going to get the rub of the green sometimes, and other times it'll be very frustrating because the fine margins will go against you. So, yeah, I, I see that one as payback for the dire incident. I'm hoping we're going to get some payback for that Lucas incident at some point. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think again the rule, the rule was brought in to to take away the you know the confusion around what is a handball. They just made it so that any handball that leads to a goal is going to be chalked off and. That sounds great because you think, okay, people are going to have their arms sticking out. It's going to, you know, be beneficial for defences because clear handballs are going to be given. But in practice, there's times, as you saw against Fulham, where it, the, the guy's hand is—he's almost got his hand down by his side, holding his hip. He can't really do any more than that. And because of the rules, they've, you know, unfortunately, that's been chalked off for Fulham fans. But like I say, I think it—I think over the course of a whole season. We're going to get some against us and some for us, and and that's just part and parcel of it. So, Tommy, in midfield against Fulham, we saw Schoeberg and Undumbele paired up again. Do you think that partnership is almost, how should we put this, a necessary evil to allow the attacking four to be set free? That you're almost having to sacrifice it not clicking in the middle, but in doing so, you're getting much more reward in attack? Yeah, yeah, I I suppose so. And... Uh, and Domblay is he's adapting. He really is adapting. I remember his first game. Um, I think it was West Brom next to next to Hoiberg. We, we still won comfortably, but he did he did struggle. He was he was unable to differentiate the difference between being a Sissoko type centre mid where you're just defensive and you go into the back line almost as a third centre back and still being able to play with the ball. He seems to have come out of his shell more and more and more. So it may not be a necessary uh, necess- necessity of two evils. It, I think he could be could be his future, as we we're just talking about. Look, Kelso playing there, but we've seen we've seen a bit of the magician there. We're still seeing a bit of the magician, the turning on a sixpence type in Domblay as the games have gone on. Um, so I, I think it could be a, I think it could be the future. I really do. And if Ali sticks around next season, then he's going to be playing centre attacking mid. So it's going to be between him and Lokelso. You just can't fit three in there. I think he's adapting. I think he's adapting all the time. I think it was very, very good that we rested him yesterday. I thought that was a genius move. It was a genius move, and uh, we'll really see what he's capable of in the big games. So I'm, I'm sure he's going to go back there against Arsenal on Sunday. 
we'll we'll see what he's made of in the real big games, and that that is huge. That is absolutely massive. I can't wait for it. I'm sure you lot can't. I'm sure the Spurs fans are ready for that. So uh, yeah, that's a big one. If Hoiberg um, and and Dom Blake can do the business there, then uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be great. It'll be great. Right, we sort of touched around the surface of Sunday, but let's hot foot it to it properly now. James, whisper it quietly, but I think we can finally say that the Gareth Bale we've been waiting for has finally returned. Absolutely, yes. And it's it's made me feel like a 16-year-old again. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I, we all knew that it... Well, we all hoped that it was going to happen at some point. Um, you know, I, I think he's he's obviously... This is a Gareth Bale playing with confidence um, as opposed to the Gareth Bale that had been, I think, a little bit broken by his, his last year at Real Madrid. Um, you know, it's it's taken him a little bit a little bit longer than maybe a lot would have liked, but I think that's that's down to uh, Mourinho's management of him. Um, I think he was quite wary of, of throwing him in at the deep end, but it turns out that, that being thrown in is 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 probably what what Gareth needed. Um, I th- you know that would be my only criticism is is that I think you know once it was clear that he was fit and he was ready to go again, um, I think he would have he would have flourished from from being thrown in there, but. You know, there's there's no there's no use criticising now because he's it, Mourinho's eventually got got the player out of him that that we all wanted to see. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I think he's he's just playing in a in a different way to the way that he used to play. Um, you know, you, you can say that he's not as quick as he used to be, but he's he's clearly still got some of that explosive power, which is you know which is irreplaceable in a team. Um, he's got the ability to to beat players and. And you know what? He's also showing things that he never showed when he was at Spurs first time round. You know, the amount of crossfield passes, um, you know, when he was hitting Reggie on, on the diagonal, I've, I, I don't remember him passing a ball like that back in the day. Um, so, you know, that's something that he's he's clearly gone away and worked on. And he, he knows that he's going to have to adapt his game. Um, you know, as, as, as Sunas and, and Keane were saying, he's 31 now. Uh, so you know he, he's going to have to have to learn to to release the ball maybe a bit earlier and, and pick that pass. But he's he's clearly shown that he's 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 not the the old fogey that that people that people thought he might be when he when he first came back. Um, and and his his game has just become so much so much more clever. You know, look look at that position that he got in for the, for the header. You know, he knows that Harry's going to win that first ball. Uh, he's he's beaten the centre half to it, and it's a great header. Uh, and you know, I think he, he's he's really clicking with with Harry, um, and hopefully he can start clicking with Sonny as well, um, because we always said that those three would be an unstoppable force if they if they got going, and and it seems to be that they are they are getting on, they're getting on like a house on fire now. Now, Chris, not only is Bale back to the levels that we all hoped for, but he's back with more regularity. So, does this suggest that the fitness we've all been hanging our hat on all season is finally at those Premier levels? And if so. Should it be a case of when he starts rather than if he starts? Well, yeah, you'd like to think that the worst of his kind of fitness concerns are behind him now. I think he started all three games this week, didn't he? So when a player is, is doing that consistently, I'd like to think that, yeah, it is a case of picking and choosing the moments to use him and really maximising you know, the best we can get out of him. Um, I don't, for, you know, for example, I don't think he'll potentially start on Thursday because we'll be looking to play him on on Sunday in the derby. So 
it's just really good to see him reach the kind of levels that you you hope for and you you know we were all expecting as, as James touched on it takes you back to him bursting down the wing and and finding you know Pavlyuchenko or Crouch or someone like that so it's, it's great to see he's, he's starting to kind of remind me a little bit of Ryan Giggs how Giggs used to be a really pacey uh, you know winger down the left side and as he got older, his pace obviously left him and, and he kind of drifted inside and started to become that clever, crafty creator. I think you're seeing that with Bale now, that he does still have a turn of pace to a degree. I don't think he's got the kind of longevity to out, outrace someone over 30 yards or 40 yards, for example. But he's drifting inside and, and picking out players with that left foot that, you know, he's still, he's still got it. He's still got it. And I think we, we're very lucky to have him for this final um, few months of the season I'm still hoping he can come up big for us in a key game you know we're looking at that Carabao Cup final can he just stick a free kick in the top corner for us in the 93rd minute to win the game I think we'd all be very happy with that well of course you know stranger things in football have happened and ultimately you know if you want Bale to be good in a third of the season you know you don't really want it in the first third of the season do you you know you wouldn't want a cameo between September and October and now he's a lame duck for the rest of the campaign it might just work out well in the end. And Tommy, with the emergence, or so we say resurgence, of Gareth Bale, is that bad news for Steven Bergvine and his quest for first team minutes? And more importantly, in the week, he has seemingly taken down all the Spurs references off his Instagram. So if we're putting two and two together and getting five, does that mean he's checked out and the exit door is getting ready for him? Bergwijn, it's funny you should mention Bergwijn because, you know, I do a lot of content on my YouTube channel and I've done a preview show and I had him in. I had him in. I, I, I was convinced that he was not going to play Bale three times in a week. I was so happy he did. When I looked at the lineups, I was so, so happy that, you know, that, as he said, 16-year-old, uh, James was saying, I was older. I was like 20, 21. But um, it was still there, that uh, that love. And to, to see Bale play three times in a bounce was uh, absolutely brilliant. I, I I thought Bergwijn was going to come in. I don't, you see, I look into agents and I look into transfers quite deeply. And uh, we're looking at Botman. We're looking at signing the centre-back Botman. And they, they share the same agent. And Botman, the transfer talk coming out is that he's almost he's practically signing a pre-contract with Spurs right now. So I'm not so sure about that. He's probably, he's probably disheartened because he's way back. He's way back in the uh, locker when it comes to who's going to be on a, on a team sheet and who's not. I mean, he's not even second team now. Against Zagreb, if we're almost certainly going to rest Bale. Does, does Bergwijn come in? You, you've got to give Lamella another go, haven't you? You've got to give Lamella another go. And uh, if Lokelso's back, you've probably got to chuck him in uh, attacking mid. Or Deli Ali. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult for him. But I wouldn't read too much into that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into that. Because believe it or not, especially with Levy, agents, having the same agents, this, that and the other, is so key. It makes transfers happen so much easier. So, I'm not so sure about that. With Botman nearly signed, I think he'll stay there. And I hope he stays there. He's got pace, power. I love his work rate. He's almost like a younger Lamella, but with more quality. So uh, a lot more quality, I may add. I'm going to just say Pavlyuchenko. What a what a name that was when that came out. Pavlyuchenko. Oh, I just he just reminds me of Rocky Four. Whenever I see his villain from Rocky Four, but what a player! What an absolute player! <laughs> what a shout! If he dies, he dies. But anyway, James. In terms of Sunday's showing against Palace, the first 25 minutes were, should we say, patient from uh, Spurs. You know, sort of picking away, and finally we got a break because Lucas picked Palace's pocket. So he didn't score himself, but you'd have to say he did rather well across the 90. Yeah, and, and we, we've scored quite a lot of goals from from doing things like that this season, but it's usually been someone like Hoybjerg winning the ball back in that 
that kind of tricky area just in front of the halfway line and uh, and and when you've got someone like Lucas running at the back four that's that's probably uh, you know an area where he he excels in you know we we know that he he's not going to be able to pick a killer pass that's not the kind of player he is but if Lucas can kind of hone his skills in the same way that that Musa Sissoko has you know Sissoko has kind of learned his limitations uh, and it it actually made him a better player for for a very long time. If Lucas can do the, the same thing uh, and do more of what he did, I think that his goal against Wolfsburger has has turned him in a completely different player. Um, you know that that goal away when he when he kind of picked up the ball and, and beat three or four players. I think he's learned that if he if he just runs full pelt at defenders, he's he's going to scare the life out of them, and he's either going to get round him or he's going to get clipped, and he's going to win us a free kick. So. Rather than trying to be too cute, I think he he he, he I think he's he's just going to you know, put his head down and, and and try and burst into that space. And it was yeah, it was it was it was great from him to to be able to pick the pocket, you know, run at defenders. He then did pick the right pass, and and from then on, Harry and Bale they're, they're gonna they're always going to combine, and they're going to finish off a chance like that. So if if Lucas is going to be the, that player in that number ten role, then you know that's the kind of the kind of work ethic and the kind of new that we new that we're going to see from him, um, you know, we're going to need to, him to be nicking the ball like that and, and driving at players, uh, because because as I say, he's not the kind of number ten that's going to that's going to be able to spray passes all over the park. He he needs to be a little bit more clever with it. But yeah, he can he can certainly take uh, take pride in that one. If we were Arsenal fans, we'd be calling that a pre-assist, I think. But uh, yeah, really really good from Lucas. Hopefully, we see more of that. Pre-assist, don't give me that. But anyway, Chris. The half-time team talk was nearly as routine as it could be until Christian Benteke offered another smash-and-grab goal in the space of a week. So when you look at that goal, is there anyone actually to blame? You know, when you can see the goal, you're always looking for some sort of scapegoat or some sort of fault. Or is it simply a goal where it's a great cross from Milivojevic and a smashing header from Benteke? Yeah, I think a lot of people's gut reaction was to, to look at it as, oh, the left winger's got a cross in, it must be Doherty's fault, you know. Um, I think when you look at the goal in isolation and watch it back, it is a bit of a mess defensively. I think Bale tracks someone coming inside, Winks comes across, Hoiberg is not in the right position, Doherty's left with two men. The ball is quality and the head is obviously quality as well. But I think it's we always do like to look, like you say, for a scapegoat and someone to pin a goal on. But sometimes I think you just got to applaud applaud the other the other team's play. They did pull us out of position. And like I say, it was a very, very good cross and an even better header. I think if you were being really critical, you'd, you'd obviously mention Doherty, perhaps a little bit slow to get out to block the cross. Davinson Sanchez um, lost his man, potentially. And a, a few people were obviously highlighting that Toby could have come round the back and, and tried to challenge for the ball. But you're kind of clutching at straws, I think, if that's the case. I, I just think it's a very good team move. And, and I think it was a wake-up call we needed. Um, but like you say, the half-time team talk was going to be very straightforward and perhaps we might have taken our foot off the gas and, and not had the goal fest we had in the second half. Well, that was exactly the point I was going to make to Tommy because, you know, without being a fly on the wall, the message is probably either, you know, low block for second half or get one more goal, keep a clean sheet, just wrap things up routinely. However, I would imagine there'd been a lot more anger, a lot more drive in that team talk. And as Chris has alluded to, we reap the benefit quite massively. So in hindsight, in a perverse kind of way, conceding that goal probably worked out better in the long run. Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. Because we had we hadn't been tested 
uh, over the seven days where we, you know, it was a very successful seven days. We hadn't been tested uh, when it comes to uh, a team equalising against us. You know, we kept a clean sheet in the previous two games. So, uh, yeah, we needed that. And we look, and what a terrible time to concede it was, 46th minute. And and like like Chris says, I don't think anybody was at fault for that goal. I don't think anybody was at fault, you know, because Doherty, because you get a cross in or maybe Sanchez lost his man. It's a Premier League. These are top, top wingers you're playing against every um, every every week. And Benteke, what a header it was as well. You've got to take your hat off to him. What a fantastic header it was as well. So, um, yeah, you've got to look at things. You've got to look at things in that light. And the reaction, what a reaction after half time! What an unbelievable reaction. Not only 2-1, but we got the third. We got the third as well. And then... And things like that, I think things like that become part of your team's mentality. And not only was it 2-1, it became 3-1 quickly and then bang, bosh, go for the fourth, 4-1. I was a bit disappointed we didn't go more all out for the fifth. Because, you know, Bale and Kane were on hat-tricks again. I was, I say again because Bale was on a hat-trick against uh, Burnley a week before. I was, I was disappointed he took Kane off especially because he can be rested against Zagreb and it's not for four days. I would love to have seen either one of them get a hat-trick. But if that's the argument we're having, if that's the problem we have as Spurs fans right now, oh, we want this guy to get a hat-trick, then that's a much better place than we were in uh, two months ago. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's a nice problem to have when we're whinging about players not getting hat-tricks. But I think really that just ties into sort of squad management. We've sort of said so many times before, you know, we've almost bemoaned the fact that Kane has played too many minutes and now you're sort of seeing that the sort of weird flip side of actually, you know, maybe he should have stayed on. But it's, a, again, a nice problem to have. And James, talking of problems, our problems were erased minutes after the restart, thankfully. So we talk about Bale evolving from, should we say, Mark 1 to Mark 2 at Spurs. And once again, he showed that there's an aerial threat to his game. And that's something he's capable of offering once more. Got a headed goal, I remember, against Brighton at home earlier in the season and did so again against Palace on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said earlier, I think... It, it, it's a completely new area of his game that we that we never really saw before. You know the fact that he, I think he, you know, he's probably bulked up a bit since he's uh, since he was at Tottenham first time round, and also you know just that position that he was in. I I I find it very rare that you know that he was even in that position. You know, having watched the Bale of old, um, I just don't I don't think it was it was a kind of he was never a real kind of fox in the box kind of player. Um, but look at some of the goals that he scored. You know, for Spurs, you mentioned that that header against Brighton. Um, you know, even the, you know the 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 first goal. Um, you know, the tapping. That I don't even think that's a position that he'd have found himself in before. So you know, attacking that that six yard box and and getting to the header ahead of the ahead of the defender. Um, I think it's a it's a much better goal than people have given us credit for. It's you know, it's a really good cross. And Harry, you know, maybe if he was a, a different player. Um, you know, maybe talk about Ben Teke in the end. He's he's probably trying to direct that that header goalwards at a really tight angle. But you know, Kane's done the right thing, putting it back in the mix, and and Bale's given it everything to get to, get to the ball. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot to be to be really impressed with there. Uh, not least just just the position that Bale's taken up. I think it's it, it's really gone under the radar how how good his movement has been to get into those positions and. Uh, and and it's as as we say it's Bale Mark too. It's a, it's almost like a completely different player, but but with the 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 technical ability of the of the player that we all fell in love with years ago. Now, Chris, if you looked at Harry Kane on Thursday against Fulham, there's been comments such as trying too hard to get a goal, a bit leggy, needs a rest, and all that, and you're kind of thinking 
yeah, there may be some validity to those kind of comments. But then Sunday, he just makes a mockery of them all. And he also made a mockery of Vicente Guaita with that stunning goal to make it 3-1. What did you make of that? Wow. I mean, goal of the season contender, isn't it? It's, it's a quality, quality strike for that third goal. I, I think any other player attempts that and you're thinking, well, that's a cross gone wrong or, you know, what, what on earth is he thinking? But with Kane, you always think there's a, you know, you have that kind of, blind faith that he knows exactly what he's doing exactly what he's trying to do and occasionally as we've seen over the last few seasons they come off and when they do they are just absolute stunners and that kind of clinched the game for us at a really key moment it was off the back of a really nice team move as well I think I've seen the pass pass graph the pass map for it and it's a lot of one touch two touch football comes out to Doherty on the right and when it comes back to Kane, I, my first reaction was he's just trying to whip this into the back post. It's, you know, he's trying to look for Son, as he always does. Um, and then it, you know, just got to stand back and admire it. It's just such a crisp, crisp, clean strike. Um, with regards to the Fulham performance, I think it was one of Kane's sort of weaker games. But even then, you, he plays at such a high level that a weak game for him, he could have had a goal and, a, and an assist. And you're looking at that as a weak game for him. And then, you know, a few days later, he puts two on a plate for someone else and grabs to himself with one of them being a goal of the season contender. So I think he's just setting the bar so high for us that when he does finally go, whether that's a sale or, you know, retirement, the bar for the next striker is so, so high. It's just so high. I don't. I think I read that Kane's only gone three games in the Premier League without scoring a goal any yeah. one time. Which is just over that over such a long period of time, it's just unbelievable. He's just he's just a god. Well, Tommy, let's talk about the bar then. The bar is open, but is the bar going to be too high for whoever that replacement is? Because whoever does fill those shoes might just have the most difficult job in world football. Yeah, yeah, it's similar to taking over from Pochettino, Mourinho. Um, but yeah, I mean, our track record at signing strikers as well is not too great. You know, we talk about Pavlyuchenko, but even after that, Soldado, the less the less is said about him, the better. Um, even the backups to to Kane have been, have been the biggest one of the biggest problems. To our when you look at our transfer activity and our failure to win titles or get in a top four at times, has been down to our the striker signings we've had. You know, Lorente, fifteen million pounds on a thirty-two year old, and whoever it is, whoever it may be, we're gonna we're gonna spend slightly more money. Whenever that you know unfortunate time comes, we're going to spend a hell of a lot of money on the strike, I'd imagine. Um, and it, <sighs> boots to fill. If you can, if you can do that, if you can score half the goals Kane Kane does season on season, because what he's on, he's on sixteen now, he's almost certainly going to get to twenty. He, you know, strikers in this league, you get eleven, twelve goals. You got the you got the right wing and left wingers joining in as well. So eleven goals in the Premier League is a good tally. So. <sighs> 20 goals every season. It's not just going to be difficult. It's going to be impossible. But um, so we just better, we just better like uh, every time he plays, we should just be so so proud of Spurs fans and happy to see a world class icon on the pitch because that's, that's exactly what he is. It's exactly what he is. And in that Fulham game, he missed a couple of chances a header. He's not a great header of the ball. He never has been. Um, and the one on one was the most surprising. But because he has that world class tag, that's why it's so surprising. So, uh, yeah, I don't trust our track record of strikers. But, yeah, that day will come. Unfortunately, that day will come. Well, it's always going to come. You know, footballers' careers don't go on forever. But hopefully, 
we can drain every last drop out of his career. Now, James, talking of his career, him and Son have got into the record books this week because they've set the record for Premier League goal contributions combined as a partnership in a season and are also hunting down the overall record, which they're too short. Now, this is one for the stat men, really, but it's always good to see a reward of such goal-scoring efforts. Absolutely. It's nice that these two are going to be, are going to be remembered um you know because this is this is something that you you know you don't see very very often you know two players who clearly play to each other's strengths just so well um you know it's it's testament to, to i think harry's vision um and and sonny's finishing really which is two of the things that that i think if you go back a couple of years um they they're just not at the level they are now you know go back a couple of years no one knew that harry kane could pass a ball the way he can uh, and and you wouldn't expect Son to finish every single chance, which is what he seems to be doing this season. Um, you know, it, it's it's almost like that. You know, they've they've just taken on two roles that they that they've that they've never done before, um, and and they've also been able to return the favour. You know, I think obviously Harry set up Sonny more times than the other way round, but but also. Um, you know they've they've, they've returned the favour a few times as, as well, so it, it's it's a it's something that can't be can't be replicated. Um, there's no other other players in the Premier League like Harry and Sonny, um, and uh, and a long way it continue. You know if you know so you say there's only there's only uh, two goals to go to smash that record, they're going to absolutely crush that. They could they could do that in one game. Um, absolutely no no issue. So it is just a question of, of how many. Uh, and I think you know we have to start having a conversation about Harry Kane and the, and the player player of the year award um, because look at the amount of, of goal contributions that he's got to his name this season. It, it can't be ignored. If a player is top of the goal scorer charts and the assist charts, surely you know he, that cannot be ignored um, in terms of the individual awards. But it will be an interesting one come the end of the season. Well, if Tottenham don't finish in the top four, God forbid, does that mean that the likes of Kane and Son will be overlooked in the awards? Because it's usually about this time of year that the voting slips are done, really, aren't they? So maybe that bad February might just go against them. But then, as you say, James, when you look at the numbers, you think, how on earth could it go against them? But, you know, that's just a mockery of such awards as the, uh, the PFA and, and all that. But, Chris, last week, we spoke at length about Roy Keane's comments. Do you think, in a sense... He's ended up doing Spurs' team talks for Mourinho between now and the end of the season. As if to say, go on, lads, go and prove him wrong. Yeah, they were, they were strange comments, of course. And I think, like you say, they, they have gone some way to, to motivating the team for the rest of the season. Um, the, the, the camp has always said, and Mourinho has always said, that the media is kind of taken with a pinch of salt in the dressing room, that they don't get too enamoured with the praise and they don't get too downheartened with the criticism. Um, but... You know, when someone like Roy Keane is, you know, after such a strong week for us as well, and and the the run that we've gone on for the last few days to to criticise the team in the way he did, and and it's often how that it's not Spurs playing well, it's the opposition playing poorly, or you know, players should be doing more, etc. I think it does motivate the players subconsciously. I think they'll be looking to to finally get over the line with a trophy and. and look back on those comments and think, Do you know what, that that was the moment where we we brought it all together and realise that we've really got to start delivering now. Because once again, I feel like we're in that position where we're close. We're very close to, to silverware once again. It's it's not quite the Pochettino way, but Mourinho has got us into a final. We're hopefully going to get close to the top four, potentially into the top four. And obviously then the Europa League, where we've got another favourable fixture. So 
momentum is kind of building, it, it does feel positive. And, and comments like that from someone like Roy Keane, who's obviously been there and done it, are hopefully going to spur the team on. So, Tommy, there was more Sky Sports misery on Sunday night as Graham Souness was wading in. How on earth can you find negativity in such a good performance from Tottenham? To be honest, to be honest, after Roy, Ke- uh, Roy Keane's comments before the Burnley game, I've, I've just given up. I've given up, given oh, really? up with him. Absolutely given up with him. Because I used to, you know, it was a YouTube icon in a way before he went to Sky Sports. You know, they loved his, you know, they loved his punditry on uh, no nonsense punditry on ITV. That's no doubt why he got his contract on Sky. But he's gone. To, he just seems like a bitter, foul manager, which is exactly what he is. He's a, you know, he's a foul manager, time and time again. Um, and uh, yeah, he can't motivate. He can't make, motivate his own players in the dressing room as a manager. So I don't know how he's going to motivate ours. Uh, with his comments, I think it would have to be a weak team to be completely motivated by them comments. But you know, social media is so powerful these days. It's so powerful these days that um, you know it can uh, it can it can do that. It can do just that. If you're hearing things in your ears, you know, like oh, Roy Keane said this, this pundit said that. Of course, it's going to take uh, it's going to take some precedence in your performances. And and Graham Souness in particular, as you, as you just mentioned, I like. I think he's more in the middle ground. I think he's slightly more in the middle ground. And I, I'll still listen to what he says, um, but you know Liverpool through and through, he's got to be bitter for right now because they're absolutely getting destroyed every game. So yeah, you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. Absolutely right. Let's try and end this show on a positive note because it's prediction time and it's prediction time for the North London derby. So James, we'll get to your exact score lines in a moment, but more importantly, how do you think we're going to line up come Sunday? Um, I think it will be the same team. Um, that we saw against Palace. against Palace, right? Yeah, exactly the same team. That's 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 what I think. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Any variants from that? Uh, I would potentially put Aurea back in the mix if he's fit. Um, I agree. They'll probably be the same team. I. You always think Lamella gets the nod for a derby. He, mm. he does love a derby, but uh, yeah, I I I probably agree with that. Okay then, and Tommy, if you are in charge of the eleven, have you got anything different for me? So different from different from Crystal Palace game. Yeah, what would you make? Um, any change? You don't have to. Oh yeah, also. I mean, Indombele definitely comes back in. Hundred percent, Indombele comes back in for Winks. And obviously, if Aurea's fit, then yeah, I think I think he would have started yesterday if he was fit. But Indombele, you know, Winks was okay, but I think he's that's his spot right now. If he's not in centre mid, then it'll at least be where Lucas is playing. So I think yeah, Indombele will come back in, and and Aurea most probably. Actually, James, in hindsight, would you like to retract that no change comment and switch out Winks? Yeah, in, in fact, I, I wasn't really concentrating, mate. So, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a long day, all right. I mean, I think when when I answered that question, it, uh, there were, I could hear your eyebrows raised down. <laughs> it's all right, no problem. Okay, James, what you can do for me though is give me a prediction for Sunday. Uh, I'm I'm going to go nice and confident. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, we are going to concede a goal because we're Tottenham, and that's what we do. Um, but I think we'll win two one. Okay, I think I'm going to copy your homework. Chris, what have you got for me? Uh, I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. Oh, he's gone 2-2. Two, two. A Desmond, as they call it in the industry. And Tommy, what have you got, mate? So, yeah, I think, yeah, they'll certainly score. So, um, I think they'll score first. The worst thing in the world is to score first and lose. And I think that's what's going to happen. They'll, they'll score first. We'll win 2 or 3-1. 3-1. 3-1. He's confident. I like it. Right. Let's hope three of us are right. And Chris, if it's a draw, then it's not the worst thing in the world. But, obviously, we'd like to uh, kick on with our impressive run. At the moment, and now I need to wrap things up and do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my three Pod Squad members for tonight. So, Toby, you're knocking on the door of first team podcast action. Thanks for your input tonight. 
Wonderful. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure and such a great week. Thank you, chaps. Not a problem. Chris, you were gliding around the middle of the pot tonight, making it look easy. Always a pleasure and thanks to you. Absolutely. Got a couple of assists tonight. Not a bad job. <laughs> yes, exactly. A sterling performance. And James, thanks for running the channels around the captain's armband. I hope you'll be with me next Monday. Absolutely. Thanks again, Dan. Nice one, mate. Not a problem. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.